When it comes to leadership, there is no need to reinvent the wheel. Character is what eventually makes or breaks leaders. Yet, it's the most ignored and overlooked aspect of leadership development today. We have the perfect leadership role model, and that's Jesus. We simply need to follow his lead, allowing him to work in and through us. Welcome to Lead Like Jesus podcast. Leadership starts on the inside. That is Rich Cummins. I am Freddie Scott, and this is the Lead Like Jesus podcast, where leadership starts on the inside. This is your podcast, Kingdom Leaders, and we're so glad to have you join us again today. In today's episode, we're talking about the warning signs of pride and fear, the keys to overcoming fear of correction, and a prayer to help you overcome criticism. So let's first start talking about these three warning signs of pride and fear. Uh, Pride and fear, for most people, really can become crippling to not just yourself personally, but also to organizations. And so uh, one of the first things I, I, when I was thinking about this is, have you ever met a selfish leader? You know, you know, that leader that it's all about them. It's all about making themselves look good and not really about you or the people that they're called to lead. I remember there was a coach that I had playing with one of the NFL teams, and I'm not going to say which team because you may Google it to figure out exactly which coach I'm talking about. Come on, Freddie. We want to know, man. I can't give you the goods. I can't Uh, out of respect. But it was his first year coaching uh, at that level. He had been a college coach prior and had just gotten the NFL opportunity. And I would never forget, we're in a in one of our position meetings and his boss, the offensive coordinator was in the room, just sort of overviewing and over overseeing how the meeting was going. Well, he's drawing up a particular play and uh, in offense, we also not only want to know what play, but we also have to be prepared for if the defense blitzes, because if they blitz, We've got to make an adjustment to make sure that we can still be positioned to protect the quarterback, as well as to be able to make sure we can still have some form of effective play. Well, he draws up this side adjustment for me to run, and it really wasn't right. It it was making some assumptions. And so I just, just very innocently asked a question, well, what if they were in this particular coverage instead of an all out blitz. And he looked at me confused, like, what do you mean? No, and if, if, if a team blitzes, they have to be in man to man. I said, well, no, because this was my third year in the league, not my first. And I said, no, they could blitz, but have this other coverage. You've got me running into a defender and it might be a knockout shot and you're calling the ambulance to come get me. And he said, no, 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 no. And his boss stepped in and said, you know, Freddie, you're actually absolutely right. In that case, what he's saying is wrong and you need to make this adjustment. Mm. As, um, as, a, as a follower, tell me, how did you feel about the first coach and his way of handling it and then the second coach? Well, the first coach, immediately there was a loss of credibility. And so now I'm like, you don't even know really what you're talking about. You're not open to us dialoguing to get clarity on making sure that what you're asking us to do is the right thing to do. And then, and this is probably the worst thing, once he was corrected, he saw that I was challenging him 
and he moved me down the depth chart mm. as a punishment because I made him look bad. So I literally had to pray and ask God because I want a job. I don't want to lose my job because I'm asking for clarity to make sure I'm doing the right thing so we can actually win a game. I had to humble myself and ask this coach questions to make him feel like he could coach me because his ego was that fragile. And, but it worked. He ended up feeling like, oh, I guess I can coach him. I ended up making the team. But I had to go through a process of allowing myself to submit under his leadership to stroke his ego so he could still feel like he could coach me. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a, a poor leader like that, but I'm sure you have some experiences with leaders that are selfish. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I guess, uh, unfortunately, at times when we serve under leaders, good or bad, we find out the type of leader we want to be, and then perhaps the type of leader we do not want to be. And I've been around leaders that can steal the credit, take the wind out of the room, and uh, make decisions based on their own ego. And, that, and that's tough. That's challenging. It's demotivating. And for those employees that you really want around, they're not going to stay around very long if they're following a leader that's making decisions based on his or her own pride or fear. You know, and as I think about the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, the Bible does not say we were saved by our good works. It says mm. we were created for good works. And so when we get all wrapped up into earning our salvation or being afraid we're going to lose our salvation by doing things, a lot of times that takes us down a bad, a bad route or a bad road. And so when, uh, when pride creeps in or fear creeps in, it can, it can really do damage to our credibility. So just like you were talking, you lost credibility for that coach because he made some decisions and made some choices based on a bruised ego. You know, it's really interesting when you said that. I remember I was talking to a, a college athlete who was taking on a leadership role at her school. And she was talking about a lot of frustration that she was having because she felt like her team wasn't following her lead. She was trying to do the right thing, say the right thing, set the right example, set the right tone. But she felt like she just wasn't getting traction and came to the point of saying, you know, well, what's the point? You know, why, why should I keep doing all of this if they're not going to follow me? And I asked this one question. I said, well, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you want their approval? Or are you doing it because it's a reflection of just who you are as a person? Mm. And it made her sort of take a step back and say, no, if this, if me doing the right thing is simply a reflection of because I want to continue to do and be right. Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How does God do things? He does it the right way. He does it with righteousness. We don't do things because I'm trying to do things to earn favor of people. I'm doing things because I've been made right with God. And it's, a, it's an attribute of who I am. 
And many times people struggle with that. And so there's three key areas or warning signs that people tend to have when it comes to pride and fear that I think if we understand these things, it can really help a lot of people. So Rich, why don't you give us the first warning sign uh, that people could see when they're dealing with pride and fear? Be glad to. Let me illustrate it with a story. The, the first warning sign is the I factor. And so the I factor, think of it like this, being egocentric, being... Uh, so prideful that you think the sun revolves around you, not the earth, even you. And so it's your world. And so, you know, that, that can take, you know, several different forms. It can be, I'm taking all the credit, or it can also say, it can also be, you know, all the fault needs to be placed on me because I'm so inferior. And so when, when you, uh, when you get the proper credit out of place and you make it all about me or the I factor, things can go terribly wrong, as I've mentioned earlier. And one case that comes to mind is, is Kodak. And so we all know Kodak as being this camera and film powerhouse. Uh, you know, they were an innovator, a world leader, and one of the largest uh, companies in the world at one time. And so I came out of the graphic arts industry. That's where I was an entrepreneur originally. And so film was a part of the process that I utilized in printing. And so, and you're going to remember film mostly from a camera, but I, there, there was a time where innovation changed even in my industry. And it went from a film process to an image being put directly on a plate, cutting film out entirely. But when you think about your own camera back in the seventies, Kodak, one of their developers, one of their innovators developed the first digital camera. Well, there were people that were uh, higher up, the leaders, the decision makers, they had that I factor going and they decided that, you know what, we're not going to really look at this new innovation. We're going to deny the reality that this is the future. And they put all of their, their attention and resources back towards that old technology, if you will, film. And then by the 90s, they, they were surpassed and they ended up phasing out. They thought they were in the film business. They forgot they were in the memory capturing business. And when wow. technology changed, they lost out because they were too full of pride. That is, first of all, I think most people have forgotten about Kodak, especially if you were not around in the 70s <laughs> in, in that time frame that they were the giant. Like it was, you know, it's like Google, like you Google it, like Kodak was, it was yeah. a Kodak moment that they had branded making memories and had forgotten what they were in the business to do. And now that brings us to the second warning, which is the mind perspective. It's all about me. Uh, I remember growing up and, and especially when I was cutting my teeth in ministry, you come across different leaders that sometimes can be pretty insecure, that, that any credit, anything that's done, has it come through them, is by them, is for them, it's all about me, me, me. And, and I'll never forget, God challenged me early on when I started serving as, as an assistant pastor for my father-in-law's church. In ministry, you wear a lot of hats. I'm sure we all can relate with that. And I remember God challenging me with this one question. He said, Freddie, if you weren't here, who else could do what you were doing? And how could it be done if you were not here? Mm -hmm. Maybe sort of take a step back to, to start reflecting because 
because sometimes it's faster if I just do it to take the time to teach somebody else, to show them how to do it, to go through the learning curve of them making mistakes and all of that. I mean, that takes a lot of patience. That's a lot of long suffering. And I just don't feel like working on that faith muscle right now. But that's what God requires us to do, to realize that, you know what, there is a benefit, not just to the organization, but to our own health, mm. to not have everything and everyone and every decision to go to and through you. And, and that lesson, I think, has saved me years. Uh, I'm not doing just for men on my hair. I'm able to sort of <laughs> keep the grays a little bit away. But how many leaders have been able to be developed because you gave them an opportunity to grow and to flourish and to give them space to grow instead of it always being about me and, and keeping the energy solely focused on my perspective. So that brings to mind the difference between being a steward and an owner, being a steward of the gifts and good things God has given us, being a steward of our positions, our opportunities, but also being a steward of the relationships that we have and not an owner of those relationships. Mm. And so I think about that in terms of, of the mind perspective and me needing to take credit for everything and everything belongs to me. And those relationships are even mine. No, we're stewards of these things. What do you think about that, Freddie? That is huge. And I think just that subtle shift of realizing that God's caused us, has called us to be stewards of relationships stewards of the people that's in our circle, stewards of the ministries or businesses that we're serving in. It's all about him and it's not about us. And that subtle shift makes all the difference in the world because it also takes pressure off of you to have to do everything. Mm -hmm. I can actually sleep at night knowing that if not by God's grace, if not for his wisdom, if I'm not hearing from him in certain areas, then nothing is going to work if it's not something that he is breathing in and fueling and giving me the wisdom, the grace, and the insight to execute. Takes a lot of that pressure off. It really does. Cast your cares on him. His mm. burden is easy and his yoke is light. And so when we turn it more towards stewardship and away from ownership, then we know that we are just going to be very responsible with the things God has given us, but we don't own them ourselves. Wow. That, that, that brings us to the third warning sign, which is uh, really a negative response to feedback, you know, mm -hmm. not dealing with reality as reality is. You no, know, it doesn't, I tell, every, everyone loves negative feedback, don't they? No, not my kids. I can tell you that, man. Uh, they don't like it. And so, uh, and I don't like it sometimes, but you know what? If you want to be a stellar leader, if you want to be a lead like Jesus type of leader, you really need to be in tune with feedback. And sometimes that's negative and we have to be open to it. Gordon McDonald one time uh, in his book, Ordering Your Private World, he talked about the difference between being driven and being called people. And so as we were talking about ownership over relationships, possessions and positions, uh, an owner thinks that I own all of these different things and it becomes a self-protection problem. But the, the, the one who dies with the most toys wins. That's the kind of mentality there. And so we've got to remember that from God, 
everything is on loan to us for called people. And so feedback then becomes a gift and not a threat. Our positions, they're on loan. Our possessions, they're on loan. Our relationships, they're on loan. And so then we begin to think more about leading and influencing rather than exerting authority over people. Wow. And that really does transition to this next topic that we really need to address, because I think a lot of us, and including myself in that, really struggle with this area of a fear of being corrected. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one of my football coaches always told me, be concerned the day I stop coaching you. The day you stop getting coached, the day you stop getting negative feedback is the day I've stopped caring and probably the day you're probably going to lose effectiveness and you're going you're gonna to stop growing mm. because we don't know what we know. We always want to see ourselves in the best light and the healthiness of having people that love you enough and care about you enough to tell you the truth. Those are few and far between. Uh, in fact, Aeneas Williams, he's a Hall of Fame cornerback. He said this once. He said, only a fool learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And there's too many leaders who won't accept correction. So, Rich, why do you think that is? Why do people not like accepting and receiving correction? It's back to pride and fear. Self-worth as the source of your security. That's kind of, you know, the 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 real ultimate culprit here. And I think about uh, Robert S. McGee. And one time he talked about Satan's formula for self-worth. He said, self-worth equals uh, my performance plus the opinion of others. And so I think that we can become too proud to be imperfect or too fearful of disappointing others. And when we're in those, that zone of fear and pride, man, it just can take us off of being an effective leader. And so everything you've been sharing as far as your past experience with coaches and, and all of that, I, I think when we look back at the leaders in our lives, if they were operating out of fear or operating out of pride, the lessons we learned from them were more about what not to do than what we should be doing. You know, it's um, the Bible is so full of wisdom, right? Uh, Proverbs 12, one tells us whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Well, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to be called stupid, right? And so if I want to appear wise, then I need to make sure that I embrace discipline and understand that through discipline, through correction, through that process, I'm able to purge off of me and off of my character different things that are going to restrict me from being my optimal self. It's almost like having a computer and you've got all these irrelevant apps and pictures. Like, have you ever gotten to the point on your, even on your phone, where you start running out of storage because you've got so much (laughs) irrelevant stuff that now I can't do what I really need to do because I got all this extra stuff on there. Well, that's what correction is. God is trying to say, listen, you need to delete this, delete that, update this, update that, because if you don't, it's going to keep you from being in your optimal use for what I've called you to do. Mm. Man, I'm just glad I don't have to defrag my hard drive anymore, Freddie. I, I got to make space, man. 
Uh, no, I, I get what you're saying. I do to be optimal, to be an optimal leader, you know, and, and as I'm thinking through all of this, and when you talk about uh, loving discipline or knowledge, uh, rather than hating re reproof, it makes me think of some of the leaders in the Bible. You know, I'm a big fan of David, you know, here is this king, this ruler, who he was actually an adulterer and a murderer. But because he had the heart of God, he was able to realize and recognize when he was wrong. And he took rebuke. He took Nathan's rebuke, you know, mm -hmm. even after uh, he had the affair with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. David recognized that he turned towards God. He repented. And that was uh, that was an area where somebody was given reproof or correction and it worked. But the Bible's also chock full of examples where it didn't work. You had Pharaoh, man, Pharaoh, that dude went through how many plagues? He just oh. couldn't get it right. 12. That's the definition of hard-headed. Hard-headed. You're right. And in the end, what did he lose? He lost the things closest to him because he couldn't take reproof. He lost his child. You know, that's one of the things that I think we forget, that I would rather receive the correction. This is wisdom. This is the 40-something-year-old Freddie as opposed to the 20, 30-something-year-old Freddie speaking. Now I understand I'd rather receive the correction now on the front end and grow than hold on to what I think is right and try to prove my correctness, so to speak, and then pay this huge consequence down the road when God is there trying to help me and not only help me, but he's trying to help me avoid what tomorrow may have if I don't make the correction. And so wisdom is the principal thing. Receiving correction not only helps us optimize, but it also helps us avoid unnecessary consequences personally, relationally, or organizationally, especially for those of us that are leading ministries and businesses. It's essential that we accept and receive correction. Um, now, for those of us that are struggling with that, what are some things that rich people can do to help overcome and be more open to receiving correction? Well, first and foremost, as iron sharpens iron, Freddie, brother, we have to have people that can speak into our lives. We have to have people we trust. Those are safe people. Those are people that we know are for us. So I would say the first thing you can do is identify who your accountability team is and then have a very serious conversation and ask them, say, when I'm off rail, off rails, you need to get me back on. And so I would say, be open and ask for, invite the tough conversation. Then I would say, embrace it. Then I would say, obey it, mm. receive it, and then do something about it. So the best way you're going to do this is you would know if you want to be great on game day, you got to do what? You got to practice. And so invite those people into your life, tell them you're working on it. And then ask them to practice it with you and then actually do something about it when you get the reproof or the correction. That is so important. It's not just having the ear to hear, but it's also being willing to be a doer of the word, right? Making that correction. And we understand Rome's not built in a day. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to come first through some form of self-awareness and understanding that here's an issue. But as I have the heart to change and have those intentional relationships of people that I trust to pour into me, 
man, the opportunity for what God can be able to do, not just through you, but even in through those relationships and the people that are dependent on you for your leadership, what God's going to be able to do through that is going to be well worth whatever uh, stage of being uncomfortable. Allow God to push you out of that comfort zone. Uh, Rich, as we close, would you mind praying for us all? I think all of us, this all this issue has hit all of us in different ways. Would you mind praying for us as we want to move into embracing correction and walking into the fullness of what God has really called us to be as leaders? Be glad to, Freddie. Thank you. Heavenly Father, God of glory, we are just so thankful. We are so thankful that as we make our plans, your spirit guides our steps. And if we are open to and allowing it and receiving you, you will guide us on the path towards you. And I pray, Lord God, that as we receive that correction and that rebuke, that we would not turn away from reality, but we would embrace reality as our best teacher and apply those words of wisdom. Those harsh words of wisdom sometimes from a friend are so sweet to the soul, but then ignoring, you know, the flattery and praises from an enemy. Help us to take those words of correction from a friend, Lord God, and apply them effectively so we can do and be all that you've called us to be as kingdom leaders. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you, Rich. Thank you, Kingdom Leaders, for joining us again today. We're so excited about what God is doing in and through your life. And until next time, remember, leadership starts on the inside.